Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and I'm so glad that you're with us uh, here today, this Sunday. Uh, as Nancy mentioned a moment ago, we're in a month-long look at prayer. We're in a teaching series called After Words. How do you pray when you don't know what to say? And I think all of us could be honest and say that there's lots of times when it comes to prayer, we don't know if we're doing it right or feel like we're not doing it enough. And so if you missed the last couple weeks, I'd encourage you to go online. You can kind of catch up to where we're at because today we're going to be looking at something that all of us at one time or another, in one way or another, have faced. And that's how you talk to God when you don't hear him saying anything. How do you talk to God when you don't hear him saying anything in return? Last week, I actually had an opportunity where I got to see this kind of in, you know, sort of real world stuff. I had a very important phone call that we've been trying to set up for weeks you ever have one of those where it just seems impossible to get a call, a meeting on the schedule? So we finally did, and I was looking forward to it, kind of cleared my space so I could really, you know, be ready and present with this call. Very important phone call. And we're in the middle of the call. We're about maybe five, ten minutes in. And the person on the other end was talking, and all of a sudden, as we're in the middle of our conversation, I just heard nothing from her. Just silence. And so I'm kind of sitting there going, hey, hello, uh, can you, I don't, can you, We fall apart in these moments. We don't know how to have basic human communication. So I'm going, can you hear me? I can't hear you. Can you hear me? I can't hear you. And then we assume because they can't hear us, what we really need to do is talk louder. I can't, can you hear, I'm not, can you hear me? And then I started kind of doing the uh, coverage dance where I would like kind of walk. I can you hear me? I can't hear you. Can you hear me? I'm over here and I'm talking and talking. And then I start to realize, I actually hope they can't hear me because I sound like an idiot right now. I really hope that they can't hear me. And what I didn't know, she just kept on talking, but I wasn't hearing a thing that she said. And so I kind of had to eventually just hang up the call, right? And then call them back and go, yeah, I missed everything you said from the last couple of minutes. And then you try and make them feel better by like, you know, I'm sure it was me. It was my bad, my drop call. But they're the one in the car. And so you know it was their fault that they lost the signal. I just didn't want to tell them that. You ever had that happen to you on the phone where you just, in the more, a very like important conversation, you just lose the connection? I think if we were to be honest about prayer for those of us who've tried to pray or who've had a praying relationship with God, that there are times when we face that same reality with God, where we're talking and talking and talking and talking and we hear nothing in return. God, are you there? Are you there? Can you hear me? Is it me? Is it there? Are you there, God? Can you hear me? And it can become a very, 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 very uh, important moment in our faith when you face the silence of God. There's nothing more deafening and potentially defeating than the seeming silence of God. Because we we sort of live in a world of 24-hour noise and distraction and, and instant connection. And so the thought of God having us wait for anything is honestly unthinkable. Because that's not how our world works. Why do we have to wait for God? And why is God sometimes silent? That's a very important question for us to dive into. We're going to look at a story from the Bible that helps us understand this a little bit more. But I think for us to really dive in deep, we have to be honest. So you're in church, so at least pretend for the next hour or so to be honest with yourself about this expectation that you have of God. Because if we were to be really honest, the truth is we expect God to speak to us or be available to us at all times. But we oftentimes go silent on God. In fact, there have maybe been seasons of your life where you didn't say a word to God or a word about God. You didn't even think about God. Some people call that time college. And you, <laughs> you, you, you were okay to put God on hold for a season. 
But when you want him to take your call, I mean, we get frustrated. Why doesn't God answer? Why doesn't God speak? Why doesn't God move the way I want him to when I want him to? We have no problem not talking to God. But when God doesn't talk to us how we want or when we want, when God is seemingly silent, it can honestly be the breaking point of our faith. And maybe you know all too well about that. The seeming silence of God has broken your faith in him. And maybe you can relate to a season of your life like that, or maybe, odds are, some of us may be in that season right now. You walked in these doors this morning, and you have yet to hear from God for a very, very, very long time. And my hope is, our hope is for you this weekend, is that you would be encouraged that you would discover in the silence that you were not alone. If you have ever had to face the silence of God or have ever had to wait on God, you were actually not alone, that there are people all around you that have had to live in that reality as well. And there are people all throughout the story of the Bible. In fact, these pages are filled with silence. We're going to look at one of those stories today. And that you would be encouraged. My hope would be that over our time together, you would walk out of your knowing, even if you were facing, standing in the face of the seeming silence of God, that you would be encouraged that God is still with you, even if he is silent. See, because there's a big difference between silence and absence. Silence is not the same as absence. And if we can learn to accept God's presence, even with his silence, there is the possibility for our faith to grow, unlike maybe it would in any other season of our life. So I want us to look at a story in the Bible that someone has to face this reality. If God is silent, does that mean that he's actually absent in my life? And it's found in the Old Testament. And I want you to actually grab a Bible. If you brought one with you, fantastic. If you have it on your phone, great. If not, we've got you covered. There should be a blue Bible in the seat back. Would you grab it? This is a story I've never taught before at Soul City Church. I'm excited to get into this today. I've never taught this before, and so I'm excited. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. in the Old Testament. In the blue Bibles, just so you know, it's page 185. That might help you fast track your way there. So page 185, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at the story of Hannah this morning. And let me uh, let you give, kind of give you some context as to where we're at in the story of the Bible, the bigger story. This is post-Moses, pre-David. Does that help a little bit? Like this is before Jesus, post-Moses, after being rescued from the Egyptians, but pre-King David in those days. This is kind of in the middle where priests had a lot of authority in the community. And so we're going to see an interaction between Hannah and a priest named Eli in just a little bit. But I want to start in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I want to introduce you to some characters that will be very important in this story that you might actually recognize from your own story as well. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 1, story of Hannah and what God birthed in her in his silence. So it says this in verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. Now, I know you already know all that. <laughs> I know that you already, you could have said that for me from memory. I, this is for the rest of them who don't know. All, see, we're going to introduce you some characters. None of those names except one is important to the story. It's all just background. So thank you, Bible, for the details. We're going to look at, this is the story of Elkanah. And it goes on in verse 2 to say this. Elkanah, he had two wives. Dun, dun, dun. This is where the plot begins, already to thicken. He had two wives. Now, this is not something that God endorsed. This was something that God allowed in a time and a season where people had chosen their way over God's way. And so God let people, let their decisions run their course in their life. 
And so this guy had two wives, not endorsed by God, but this is something that God just said, fine, let's see what happens. And let's just see what happens. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other was Penina. Now look at this all in one verse. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. The whole setup for the story is there in that one sentence. There's a man, Elkanah, he had two wives. One was Hannah, one was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. So we see the tension already set up for a great story. Verse 4, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, in those days it was before Jesus, who was the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. We're going to celebrate that at the end of our gathering today. But before Jesus, people would offer sacrifices at the temple to atone for, to cover for their sin. So this is on the day of the sacrifice. He would give portions of the meat that was going to be sacrificed to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Now, it's not clear from the writer of this particular passage if God had specifically deliberately closed her womb or it just sort of was closed in the season. She was not able to have children. So we see that Elkanah loves his wife, Hannah. So he gives what's necessary needed to his other wife. But to Hannah, he gives a double portion because he knows the pain that she is suffering. Verse 6, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her, now look at the choice here, her who? Her partner, her friend, her sister wife, <laughs> her rival, now look at the tension already set up. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on how long? This went on year after year. Year after year after year, Penina was provoking and rubbing it in the face of Hannah that she had children, but Hannah did not. So whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, the, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Have you ever gotten to that point of despair where you've just lost the will to do the basic functions of life? She just couldn't even move forward. And there is Penina just rubbing it and rubbing it and rubbing her pain, God's silence in her face. And you know, the truth is about all of us and all of our stories, different details, but there is, uh, my hunch is, there is a Penina in your story somewhere. There's always someone in your story who's going to remind you of something that you don't have or a pain that you are suffering or the seeming silence of God in your life. Now, sometimes that's done directly, and let me just give you a word about those people. Avoid them. Why are you hanging out with them? Don't let people treat you that way. That's another sermon. Lots of times, this is done indirectly, though. And sometimes the paninas in your story don't even realize the pain that they remind you of just sheerly by their story. Just sheerly by what's going on in the details of their life. Someone who, who kind of reminds you of what can happen when you hear nothing from God. Their having reminds you of your not having. Their perceived joy reminds you of your pain. Their family reminds you of your lack of family. And this is not just metaphorical. Details are different for all of us, but that's real in this room right now. There are folks in this room, maybe it's part of your story. You've desperately desired to start a family, and for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened. 
And every time we do a family dedication up here, every time another one of your friends has a kid, without them ever intentionally meaning so, it is a reminder of your pain. There is a penina in all of our stories that reminds us that we live in sort of this in-between where we are waiting for God. And it's very, very, very easy in the silence of God to hear and be overwhelmed by the echoing taunts of the paninas in your life trying to convince you that your silence is something you were meant to suffer, that this is just your lot in life. You were meant to suffer in your silence, that God is somehow mad at you, and the reason they have and you don't have is because you've done something wrong. And this is how God is going to punish you. He's mad at you. Or worse than God being mad at you, he doesn't care about you. He clearly cares about them. He doesn't care about you. See, this is what can happen to our hearts if we're not careful. We can begin to assume that silence is for the sake of suffering. Silence is for the sake of suffering, that it's just my lot in life, and this is God punishing me for something. But Hannah knows that that there's more to the story than that. There's so much more to the story than just the pain that she's feeling. There's a greater purpose at work here. So let's jump down to verse 8. We're going to look at her husband, Elkanah's response to her. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Now just pause. Elkanah, bro, get a clue. (laughs) Control your household, man. You got two wives fighting. Come on, dude. This This is not hard to figure out. You don't need Dr. Phil for this one. We can resolve this one right here, right now. But this is what he does. Now, I think it's actually out of a well-intended heart. I think it's out of his love for her. He says, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And so what he's saying is, I see your pain. I see that you're hurting. I see that you, you have this great suffering, this longing that you're going through. But listen, 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 can I? I mean, can't we just agree that maybe I'm okay? I'm okay enough for you? You don't need that. Because it seems like the longer you hold out for God, the more it sort of brings pain and longing into your life. Elkanah sees into the depths of her real desire from God, and in a loving attempt, what he tries to do is downgrade her desires. And my hunch is there's people in your story that are doing the same with you right now. And you've probably done that to someone else. In an attempt to comfort them, you've told them to not hold out for God's best in their life. You've done it out of love, probably. You've done it because you don't want to see them longing or in pain any longer. And I believe that's what Elkin is doing. He's saying, listen, just downgrade your desires. Will you just settle for something less than God's best? While there are always going to be Peninas in your story, there's always going to be Elkinas in your story who will lovingly say to you, you do not need to wait on God. You can take care of this. Aren't I enough? Isn't this enough? Isn't that enough? To settle for, they want you to settle for the guy that you're with. It just, I mean, this, he, look, you, at least you have someone. Now, he doesn't line up with all the things you've prayed for and hoped for, but you have someone. So why don't you just settle for the guy that you're with? Isn't that enough? Or listen, I'll ask you and encourage you out of love, I think, and well-intended, you know, like you're trying to help you. Why don't you just settle in? Does it, do you have to give everything to God? Can't you just settle into a more comfortable life instead of going after this courageous life of faith with God? The Elkanahs in your life are always going to ask you to settle for something that drowns out the seeming silence of God. Sometimes it's out of love. Sometimes it's because the silence of God makes them uncomfortable too. And if they can take the wheel and turn the knob a little bit and help you settle for something less than God's best in your life, they will. And that's what's going on in Hannah's life. I bet you that's what's going on in your life. But the truth is that silence 
The silence of God is not for the sake of settling. Like you got to hold on long enough with God and then go, okay, plan B. All right, I'll take the silver package, God. All right, what's behind door number three? The silence of God is not for the sake of you settling for something less than God's best for your life. Although that is a, a strong desire. Hannah knows, no, 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 there's more. There's more. And so in verse 10, we see her story continue. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Just weeping bitterly. And she made a vow. This is one of those promise prayers. I know every one of us has prayed the if you, then I sort of prayers, right? She makes a promise prayer to God. She says, okay, makes a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will, there it is, only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give, then I will, if you, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And for us in our context, we're like, well, okay. Choosing hairstyles before we even have a kid, that seems a bold, involved, motherly thing to do. But what she's actually doing here is much deeper. In, in the context of this culture at that time, what she was saying was she was saying, I will dedicate my son to priestly work. I will make a vow. I will set him aside and set him apart. And that was part of the many vows that a priest would take from birth to set them aside and set them apart for the work of God. So basically she's like, God, if you will just give me a son, if you would just give me a son, he can be a pastor for all I care. <laughs> Thanks to those of us who are pastors. She says, if you just give me a son, God, here's my deepest desire. I will not drown it out. I will not deaden. I will not downgrade my desire. God, I'm still going to cry out to you. Have you ever made one of those prayer deals with God before? Well, what God does in Hannah's prayer is far greater than she could have ever imagined. And God was birthing something in her far greater than the thing that she desired. As she kept on praying, let's jump down to verse 12. As she kept on Praying to the Lord, the priest that was there, the head priest, Eli. You know, priest kind of had the influence and leadership in the community that day. Eli kind of was watching her, and it says something very interesting. He observed her mouth, okay? So he's watching how she's praying. Hannah was praying, look at these words, in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. The silence of God had become so consuming that she had lost her words praying from her heart, mouthing the words, but she just can't even, she doesn't even have the strength to get the words out anymore. That's how desperate her prayers are to God. And I, you gotta love the spiritual leader in the room's insight in that moment. He sees her passionately, fervently pouring out her heart to God, and what's his assumption? He thought she was drunk. Because you know, there's no drinking like morning church drinking. <laughs> you know, give me a break. That's his assumption. And he accuses her of being drunk. Like, why are you drinking, you know, in church? And then she goes on to say this. This is actually in verse 15. You can jump down to verse 15, her response to the priest, Eli. She says, no, 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 not so, my Lord. Not so, Eli, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is what? Deeply troubled. I am deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. Don't you try and even settle me into a little category. No, I am pouring out my heart to God. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She's honest with where she's at, continues to pour out her heart to God. And so Eli sees a faith in her that honestly, I don't think Hannah sees in herself in this moment. And sometimes we need people in our lives to point that out to us, 
to call out the mustard seed of faith in us that you can't even recognize in yourself. Eli sees it in her, and so he blesses her and sends her home from the temple, and she goes home and back to her situation with the taunts of Penina, and she's there, but wouldn't you know it, something amazing happens. Verse 20, jump down to verse 20, it says this, so in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, meaning, because I asked the Lord for him. That's what the name Samuel means, because I asked the Lord for him. I did not give up. I did not give in. Hannah gives us this powerful picture of what happens when we refuse to let the silence of God destroy our faith. She gives us a picture of what it looks like to keep pouring out your heart instead of packing up your bags and walking out on God because he didn't work according to your timetable or your agenda or priorities. What we see in her is that silence was not for the sake of settling for something less than God's best. It was not for the sake of suffering needlessly, but that it was actually the silence was for the sake of strengthening her faith. That that's what silence has the power to do, the silence of God. As much as you, I know, you, we, we, we want it so much easier than that. I do too. But this is what happens in the presence of the silence of God. When we stay with God, it actually strengthens your faith in a way that getting everything you want every time you ask for it never could. Have you met any parents who do that for their kids? Whatever they want, they give it to them no matter what it is. How's that working out for them? <laughs> Your heavenly father loves you so much that sometimes he says, wait. And he is silent and still because in that silence, something grows, something is birthed inside of you, a faith that is far greater than could ever grow in any other season. Now, I'll be honest, God has a very interesting sense of timing. God has a very interesting sense of timing. And very rarely does it ever line up with my agenda. Very rarely does the timing of God ever line up with my timing. In fact, so far in my time, my relationship with God now, over 30 years of being in a relationship with God, I have yet to have God consult me about the best timing for the details of my life. He has yet to come to me and said, what works for you? That has not <laughs> happened yet for me. Maybe that's happened for you, but not for me. God's timing is so unlike ours that we often don't understand it. But God's timing is neither predictable, but nor is it arbitrary. It is utterly unique. It is his. It is his timing. And if you were to ask me why sometimes God makes you wait, why the silence, my answer would be to you, I don't know. But I trust that he does. And for all of us who've had to sit in that silence to sort of wallow around in that waiting you know that is not what you would choose if left to yourself. And it can seem like, honestly, too much to bear. In fact, that is exactly where you may be at today. All this waiting for God may have left you wanting for something else. The silence of God can be deafening. This waiting can be wrenching on our souls. But if you hold out, if you can hold on to God, even in the presence of silence, I'm telling you, something will be grown in you that simply could not grow in any other season. And all your 
days and weeks and months of kicking and screaming and crying and waiting on God, that there will be something born in you, a faith that is strengthened only in the silence. Now, to be totally honest, this is one of the most challenging parts of prayer and my relationship with God for me. This is a really hard one for me, to embrace the silence of God, to trust that there is something good to come out of this waiting. Because I, I'm an active kind of person. I, I'm some, I talk to think, and so every now and then I have a good idea, but there's an hour of talking that precedes it, right? I have to process, and I, one of my strengths is input, so I'm always kind of taking things in, and so I love activity. I love kind of processing things out loud and to have to sit and wait for God to ask him something and to hear nothing is very, very, very difficult for me. Because I, I don't like to wait just as much as you don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. I mean, I get mad and frustrated if like the video of the kitten riding the turtle's back doesn't load instantly on my phone. I'm frustrated. God's against me because I can't show my friend this video. I don't like to wait for that. I know you probably don't either. And so to sit and say, this waiting, this silence comes from the hand of a loving God is challenging for me to trust and to truly believe. To believe that there is something about God's timing that is deeper, that is sometimes slower, lots of times slower, but that is always better than my timing and my agenda. And, and, and this is something specifically this year that God has invited me into, growing me in. And the more and more I kind of think about it, the more and more I realize that what I want my faith to be like, what I want my relationship with God to be like, if I were to be honest with you, is I kind of want it like a microwave. Like I want things now when I want them. Like I want like hot pockets of prayer to be answered in 30 seconds or less. Like I ask God, he should give to me. If I'm being really honest, like when you boil it all down, I expect kind of prayer to work like a microwave. I just like, God, I said it, so now it's up to you. What are you going to do? But what I'm learning more and more and more as I sit in the silence of God, as I learn to embrace it, is that prayer is a lot less like a microwave and a whole lot more like a crock pot. <laughs> Slow. <laughs> like you put stuff in in the morning and maybe it'll be done that afternoon. Maybe you wait till tomorrow. But the longer I can learn to sit in it, to soak in the presence of God, even if he is saying nothing. The sweeter, the better, the richer, the fuller my life and my faith are. When I can choose to get comfortable in the presence of God, in the presence of silence, something begins to grow in me. There are prayers that Jeannie and I have prayed specifically this year for this whole year. We started praying uh, prayer specifically for our family in January. We started praying for it. And God has yet to answer it. And so what I have to choose to say is, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep showing up. And you may never answer this the way that I'm looking for it. But I know that if I'm in your presence, God, I'm right where I need to be, even if you're silent. There are prayers for this church that we were praying. It would really help if God gave us a clear answer. As we continue to run out of space and try and make room for more people to experience the transforming love of God and have people have great connection and great relationships and grow in their relationship with God, we have prayed very specific prayers. In fact, last week we prayed and prayed, God, show us, God, show us. And you know what he did? 
nothing. Didn't answer our question the way we were asking, and so we had to choose to say, okay, we'll keep praying, God, we'll keep seeking, we'll keep searching. We will be okay to sit and wait for you because your timing is so much greater and far better than my own. Your perspective, God, is so much better. And so what I'm learning from God and being challenged by God in is that silence for me is something that can be welcomed as opposed to run from. Silence can be welcomed rather than run from. See, this is where you start to turn it. Instead of seeing yourself as a victim of God's silence, you can actually invite silence into your life. You can invite silence into your life. You can, in fact, make room for silence in life. Instead of saying, oh, I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed, and I've heard nothing, I've heard nothing, it's just God, it seems to be silent. One of the great turns in your transformation and growth is to say, I'm not a victim of the silence of God. I choose it. I choose to sit in it. Even if he says or does nothing, he will grow something in me far greater than him giving me everything I ask for. And so I welcome, I embrace, I accept the silence of God. And I want to let you know, this is, this is not easy for me. I want to be very clear. I said that earlier. Like, it's still true. It hasn't changed in the last two minutes. It's hard for me. And so it's meant, like, me intentionally having to do this. Because you know what's so funny is I've seen this and had this grow as a desire in my life. Do you know what has yet to happen in my year? I have yet to magically have times of silence and solitude with God. I have yet to stumble into a time of just being silent and still and present with God. I have to intentionally fight to put those things into my life to help me learn to welcome it instead of running from it. And so it's meant that I've had to do things. I took a silent retreat this summer where I just went away for two days and didn't talk to anyone. I just sat still and was alone in the presence of God looking out over Lake Michigan. Thank you, God, at least for that. And so I'm sitting there silent with God. And do you know what happened while I was away on that retreat? Nothing. God didn't give me some grand revelation about y'all or about me or about this church or about my family. I just sat alone with God and was okay for two days. And there was something in my soul that grew, whether I could see it or not, that I can welcome silence into my life. In fact, I desperately need it. Again, we live in a world addicted to distraction a busy world of doing. And so to carve out time to say, no, I'm just going to be with God in this moment is a big thing. And it's something I have to do probably more so than I want to admit because of how addicted I am to my own distractions and busyness and expecting God to work on my agenda. Sometimes, so I've been trying to put this more and more as a rhythm in my life and I have to be intentional about it. I have to set aside time to do it. And I want to let you know what happens during these mystical hours of silence with God. Lots of times, nothing. I want to like set your expectations, because just so you know, we're going to get to the part where I ask you to do this in a little bit, okay? Nothing. It's just, just still, just quiet and still. And you know what? That oftentimes is gift enough. Sometimes when I choose to just sit and be still and silent with God and be okay in his presence, I find my mind racing through a hundred different things. Have you ever had that happen to you? Like you sit down to pray and you want to say something to God, but all you can think about is everything else? And so one of the things a spiritual mentor has taught me in my life is pay attention to those things. Why do you think those things are running through your head and your heart so quickly? And don't judge them. Don't jump to any solutions or conclusions about them. Just go, huh, I wonder why that is preoccupying my heart so much. 
Do you know what's so spiritual? What happens to me sometimes? I'll set aside time to be silent and still with God, and I fall asleep. I fall asleep. Like, Lord, I'm here, and I'm just out. And I feel really, like, for a long time, that's, like, I've been ashamed of that. Like, I'm supposed to be more spiritual. I shouldn't fall asleep while praying. But the disciples did it, so I feel like I can do it. (laughs) And what I'm learning from God is that's actually what my soul really needs. My soul is probably more tired and more weary and more worn out than I even realize. And so that moment of silence is God's gift to me of rest. So what we're going to do this week, I want to let you know about, is we're actually going to have a time for silence. In fact, here's what we're going to do. There's homework here because we take our transformation seriously and we need help to grow. I need help to grow. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to practice five minutes of silence. You can do this. Just five minutes of silence. Here's the deal. Once in the whole week, that's all you have to do. Five minutes. Can you carve aside? And here's what's not going to happen. It's not going to magically appear in your calendar. You have to do it. You have to set it aside. And so maybe for you, do it tonight so that you can say, I did it. I, I chose five minutes to be alone with God. I would encourage you to not do it at work. Too many distractions. I'd encourage you, if you are at home, you have lots of little ones, like just going in the other room, they will find you. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. So go outside, maybe. Go outside. Go for a walk, be still. Maybe if you commute and you drive in the car to work, this whole week you turn nothing on while you're in the car. You just sit in that silence. Maybe for you, this is a practice you want to do five minutes a day. Maybe every day you'll just choose to sit and wait. And what you do is instead of bringing your agenda to God, instead of bringing everything, you just sit and be still and be present with God and say, God, I'm here and I'm just going to sit with you and pay attention to what happens. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you'll fall asleep. Maybe a thousand things will run through your mind, so you pay attention to every one of those, and you trust that God is going to do something far beneath the surface of that silence and grow something, strengthen your faith like maybe nothing else in your life can. So that's the homework for this week is five minutes of silence. And just so you know, I know you've been sitting here quietly while I've been talking. These don't count. You don't get to roll over these. Minutes, these don't count towards that, but we are going to do something together just for the next moment to help you get a head start and to see that you can be okay resting in the presence and sometimes silence of God. We're going to take 60 seconds to be silent and still. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have a phone, this is a good principle for you this week. I'm going to ask you to turn it off, actually. Seriously, turn your phone off. Make sure it's on silent, but the best way to silence it is to turn it off for the next few moments. And when you have time this week, I'd encourage you to leave your phone in another room. You don't need to take it with you. Don't take music. Don't take any. Just leave it in another room where nothing else can find you or distract you or take you away from God's presence in that moment of silence. I'm going to ask you to turn your phone off. It's okay. Like the world's not going to fall off its axis if you turn your phone off for a couple minutes. And we're just going to spend 60 seconds in silence. We're just going to spend one minute just being quiet and still. You're probably going to hear distractions around you. Your soul is going to fight being still. But you need to tell your soul, it is well. It is okay. You will be okay for one minute of silence. So for the next 60 seconds, we're going to stop and be still. Before we do, I want to read a prayer written by Richard Foster out of his book, Prayer, one of the most formative books as I've prepared for our time together here this series. I'm going to read this over you. Maybe you can read along, and then we're just going to stop and be quiet and be still for 60 seconds, and then I'm going to lead us out of silence into presence, the presence of Jesus through receiving communion together. But this is what Richard Foster writes of himself, his prayer that I think you and I can make our prayer together this week. My Lord and my God, listen to this. Listening 
is hard for me. I don't exactly mean hard, for I understand that this is a matter of receiving rather than trying. What I mean is that I am so action-oriented, so product-driven, that doing is easier for me than being. So I need your help if I'm to be still and listen. I would like to try. I would like to try. I'd like to learn how to sink down into the light of your presence until I can become comfortable in that posture. So help me to try now. Thank you and amen. So let's try together to just sit and be still for the next moment. There is a gift to silence buried underneath all of our fears. It is something your soul actually desires more than you and I even realize. And so this week, what a great invitation for us to say, God, I welcome it. I welcome the silence. I choose it. Instead of running from it, I choose to sit and be still because I know you will do something in me in that time that may not happen at any other point in my life. See, this is what Hannah knew. She knew that she could not give up on God, that she had to continue to pour out her heart instead of packing up her bags. And so she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. She said, God, if you will, then I will. And God gave her that son and she named him Samuel. And little did Hannah know, years after years after years of tears after tears after tears, that her son Samuel would grow up to be a priest. And that later in his life, he would recognize in the woods a little shepherd boy who did not have any kingly qualifications, but had the heart of God within him. And so it would be that Samuel would anoint King David to rule over the people of Israel. And from the line of King David would one day come our true king, Jesus, anointed by Samuel brought into fruition and completion in the life and ultimately the death and resurrection of Jesus. Someone who himself faced the silence of God as he hung on a cross and he cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone with the weight of the sin of the world upon me? Hours before the cross, it was in a garden. God, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, let it pass, God. If there's any other way, for me to cover the weight, for me to be that ultimate sacrifice that make away God. And yet he chose to sit and to stay even in the silence of that moment. 
And just hours before that moment in the garden, knowing the chaos that would come, knowing how addicted to, distracted we, to distraction we would be, knowing how the most important things are often the first things that we forget, Jesus gathered his disciples together and he sat them around the table and he said, listen, everything's about to change and I don't want you to forget what's really happening here. And so he took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread is like my body broken for you. I want you to remember that God came to be with you, physical form, and I offered my body up. I had it broken as the ultimate sacrifice. And then he said, I want you to also know that he poured out wine. He said, this is like my blood. I want this to remind you of my blood. This is what God has done for you. It's the only perfect and sinless blood to ever flow through human veins. And he says, I poured out fully. I poured out freely for all to cover all sin, your sin, my sin, everyone's sin. Jesus said, I offer this to you as the ultimate sacrifice so that every time you see the cup and you see bread, it reminds you of what you so often forget and that you don't even have to say anything. You can receive this gift. And so that's what we're going to do in this next moment. We're going to receive the gift of the presence of God, maybe even in the face of silence in your life. We've provided stations here in the front and in the back as well, and an overflow as well. There's stations there where you come and you tear off a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup. Up here to your left, there's gluten-free bread. If you need to get that, make your way over that way because we don't want anyone to miss this moment that we have together where we stop and we remember and we receive the presence of Jesus, maybe even in the midst of the silence of God in your life, to be encouraged that silence is not the same as absence, that God is here, he is with you, and he's demonstrated his love for you through his son, Jesus. So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna receive that, and then sing one last song together, and then we're done. Will you join me in a prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive communion? Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you yourself had to face the silence of God. So will you help us? We want to try. We want to try to embrace it. Jesus, we've seen your life that you would choose it. You would pull away. You would set aside time to just be quiet, to be still and be with your Father. Will you help us do the same? Will you save us from our distractions? Will you save us from our busyness? Will you save us from all the meaningless things that we do and give us what we ultimately need? And that's your presence in our lives. Will you help us be more present with you this week by choosing to welcome and embrace silence? And we trust and we know that we will find you there and that we could resound the heart of David to say that we waited patiently for you, God, and you turned and you heard our cries. So meet us now at the table, we pray, as we receive these elements. Help us to see you more clearly to draw closer to you. In your name we pray, amen.